Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, Matt here. Uh, Before beginning this week's episode of Broadway Breakdown, I want to direct you to some links you'll find in the description page for this episode and what they're for. Here at Broadway Breakdown, we fully support the Black Lives Matter movement, which on our part means continuous listening, educating, and donating, and the same goes for everyone. So here are a few ways you can help this week. If you're looking to support a Black-owned business, I recommend ordering books online from Semicolon Bookstore and Gallery. Whether you're looking to educate yourself or because you want to stop giving so much money to Amazon, Semicolon is a fantastic option with thousands and thousands of titles to choose from, including The New Jim Crow and Are You There, Goddess Me, Margaret, both of which I purchased last week. If you're looking for an organization to follow or do- or donate to, uh, please go to the website for the Transgender Law Center and check out both the Black LGBTQIA and Migrant Project as well as Black Trans Circles. The Transgender Law Center is the largest trans-led organization in the United States and for almost 20 years has provided legal assistance for trans people and their families and fought to enforce laws and policies that protect them. The BLMP and Black Trans Circles are two subsets of the organization directly focusing on Black trans lives. Black Trans Circles uh, focuses on building Black trans women leadership in the South and the Midwest and addresses oppression-based trauma and healing through it. You can join their email list by finding their page on the Transgender Law Center website or finding them on Facebook. And the BLMP is currently taking donations to help offer monetary assistance to all Black LGBTQIA migrant workers who have been affected financially by the COVID-19 pandemic. You can find their page on the Transgender Law Center's website as well. If you're looking to listen and to educate, the Broadway Advocacy Coalition is holding a three-day forum this week for the Broadway community and members of the industry called Broadway for Black Lives Matter Again. The aim of this forum is to listen and to heal by holding ourselves accountable in the hopes of beginning the process to making the Broadway community more actively anti-racist. The forum begins Wednesday, June 10th, and you can register for each day separately at bwayforblm.org. Please note, though, that the first day, titled A Day of Healing, is intended to be a safe space for Black artists and members of the community to share their experiences and grievances, so please keep that in mind when looking for days to register. Once again, the links for all of these can be found in the description page for the episode. Thank you for your patience. Please enjoy this week's episode of Broadway Breakdown.
everybody out there in our wonderful uh, isolated quarantine universe. Welcome to another episode of Broadway Breakdown, my obsession. I am your essentially host for this series, Matt Koplick. With me today is a man, capital M, A N, period. He has been in many a Broadway show. He has the most, uh, I was going to say lustrous. I don't know if that's the right word. Lustrous voice, booming presence, and uh, has been a fellow baker on a little known web series called Baking in on Broadway. Uh, Welcome to the pod, Mr. Antoine L. Smith. Hello, Antoine. Hello, man. How are you? I'm good. It's good to see you again. Good to see you too. Yes. How are you? Just for the record, we are in separate places. We don't want people, you know. No, uh, everyone understands. In each other's face. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Well, so uh, we are on a Zoom call. We both have our wonderful audios set up and it's and it's wonderful. I met Antoine a few years ago when he did Baking on Broadway. He was in The Color Purple at the time. Uh, he's gone on to do two more major Broadway revivals, Miss Saigon and Carousel. Uh, and you were in Memphis before those three. Right. I want to say there was one more. Re- I was want to say there was one more revival you were in before that. But am I making that up? No, that's it. So those are, those are, so those are like Wait, three major revivals. Wait, which which revivals did you say? I said uh, Color Purple, Miss Saigon, and Carousel. Yeah, that's that's those are the three revivals. Those are those are three. Every Tony season, 2016, 2017, 2018, you were in the revival for Best Musical uh, cast, which is, I mean, that's good luck. (laughs) Uh, I think if um, you know if Company or West Side Story or Carolina Change really wanted the edge for that best musical revival win, they would have put you in the company. They're like, yes, especially this is the Carolina Change. Oh, God. You'd be a really good uh, dryer. That's, uh, what, a weird, what a weird sentence to say to a person. You make a really good dryer, but if you're a musical theater person, you know exactly what that means. I will say I made it down to the final, final, and I just that's that's it that's just how it goes that's that's, that's how it goes um <laughs> Antoine how did you get into this business we call show oh man uh well first of all my grandmother was a playwright when I was young I remember being in her shows as early as five years old so theater and the theatrics and the arts and music have always been a part of my life. Mm -hmm. And of course I did the community theater uh, thing. I did the high school musical. uh, What were your parts in the high school musicals? Oh man, who, what did we do? We did Hello Dolly. I was one of the galloping waiters. Uh, Mm -hmm. We did Grease. I was Eugene. Guys and Dolls. I was Nicely Nicely. And Actually, my final, my senior year, we were supposed to do West Side Story, and I was action, but it had to be canceled because of a a situation that was that was needing to be dealt with. So we couldn't continue the production. Say no more. <laughs> if if Broadway doesn't end up lasting for you, you could go into PR. You know how to say all the right words. Well, thank you. and then correct me if i'm wrong you then your first major gig was the national tour of cats yes let me let me let me let me let me rewind it has been four years since i interviewed you so no 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 you are correct Mm -hmm. that my my first major musical theater 
But before that, I toured with uh, Sesame Street Live for two and a half years. Mm. Big Bird. That is so technically <laughs> my first big professional was that, but my first big professional musical theater where I wasn't inside of a 50 pound bird was playing a 180 pound cat. So you had so much experience playing animals and then <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> from cats, you went into Memphis. Is that correct? Uh, from cats. Uh, yes, that would, that would have been my next. Human. And were you just like, finally a human, I'm playing a human being. I'm playing a person who stands on two legs. Honestly and truly, yes, that is absolutely correct. <laughs> what is your, uh, what's the memory of your first night on Broadway in Memphis? Like that is, that's like burned in your brain. Oh man, honestly, I was so nervous that I, 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 re I remember only certain parts of it, but I do remember that I made it through. Mm. But uh, I, Antoine L. Smith, am not what you would call a dancer, dancer, not the way that people dance on Broadway, but I was cast in a role where I needed to kind of be that. Mm. And one of my dance partners, uh, her name is Bahia, who is a legendary dancer, black dance, beautiful black dancer. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was very nervous to dance with her. And I, I had to do this one complicated lift at the beginning and I told her, I said, I hope that I don't drop you because I, I'm not a partner, but I'm going to do my best. And she looked at me and said, you won't. <laughs> and I was like, uh, you're right, I won't. She <laughs> put that fear in, and, and I don't even think it was coming from a malicious place. She was just like, oh, you won't. No. So don't. Yes. <laughs> it was like one of those. She's like, but that doesn't, she's like, that doesn't happen to me. So that, you won't be doing that. Like it doesn't happen to me and it better not happen to me tonight. Mm -hmm. you no, know, but like it, she, she was beautiful, beautiful, beautiful lady, great spirit. She was, she held my hand through the whole thing. It was, it was amazing. But uh, yeah, you know, when you're, when, when, when you, when you in your first show and you're pumped and your adrenaline's going, you're just concentrating on doing mm -hmm. everything right. And that's, yeah what I did and by the end it was just a huge sigh of relief and no one was hurt so success success <laughs> perfect uh, and then from Memphis did you go all the way to the end of the run with Memphis yes until August 12th of two th oh, August 5th 2012 what was closing night of that show like oh, oh man we were such an amazing family all pretty much everyone from the original cast until those hired from October 9th, 2009 to August 12th or August 5th, 2012, everybody came back. And at the end, all those people came on stage to do the final number of Steal Your Rock and Roll. And it was one of the most amazing moments of my career. I've since had some some more amazing moments, but at that point, that was the most amazing. And, you know, we partied, we hugged each other, we laughed. Hmm. And a huge amount of us are still very close. I mean, like, we speak almost every day. That's wonderful. You know, via group chat. Yeah, yeah. I do, I, I'm a pessimist at heart, especially these days. So it's nice to know when um, people in the theater community, like, are actually close and not just yeah, sort yeah, of, yeah. you know... 
you know, hearts on Instagram. Love you, mean it. Like, right, you know? right, right. Yeah. Oh no, we're we're absolutely close. Like we have family gatherings. A lot of them have now have families. You know, children, mm-hmm. new marriages, and yeah, and that, having, having the the opportunity to see all of that. That is wonderful. Uh, so speaking of, I just had this uh, thought in my head with uh, Caroline. Any like wacky Broadway audition stories for our listeners out there? Because like ones where it's just sort of like either I can't believe I did that or like I can't believe that happened to me in the audition room. Uh, yes. Traumatizing at the time, wacky yes. now. <laughs> so I went in for the first Broadway national tour of Porgy and Bess. And I had the most music because I was, it was, I had the ensemble stuff and then understudy Porgy. Mm. And this is, I mean, the music sounds simple, but it's, it's actually kind of complicated. Mm-mm. So I go in, you know, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my music. I'm, I'm ready to go. And the piano player could not play the music. And I'm looking at him and he's looking at me and I'm looking at the director like, this is not my fault. This is their fault. So I hope that you can see. And so we plowed through him playing wrong notes, me singing wrong notes because he wasn't playing the right notes. So my ear was going to another. And needless to say, God bless Diane Paulus. She gave me the job anyway. But here's the icing on the cake. I ended up having to turn it down because I was cast in the Broadway production of Beautiful. So I had to turn down. I wanted to just also say as a PSA here, if anyone here thinks that playing Gershwin is simple, get get the fuck out of my car. Like that is the opposite of true. Gershwin is tricky. It's very tricky. And I was like, well, you guys didn't didn't know that this person couldn't play the music, right? Yeah. It's like when you go into an audition and they say, bring in 32, uh, 32 bars of a gospel song. Now, when you say to me, Antoine L. Smith or any other Black actor to bring in 32 bars of a gospel song, you would think that they would have somebody on that piano that could play these mm-hmm. gospel songs and they never quite get it right. Why do you think that is? I have, I, I truly have no idea. I just believe like if you're going to have auditions for specific shows and you, and you want specific kinds of songs, mm-hmm. you need to find the correct piano player that can play the music the way that it needs to be played so that you can get the performance out of me that I know you want, mm-hmm. that I know you deserve. Yeah. I mean, it, that is, I guess people sometimes mistake uh, like accomplishment with experience, if that makes sense, you know, right. Oh, well they're an accomplished musician. It's like, but do they have experience in this field? Like right, have they right, lived, right, right. have they lived with gospel music before? I feel the same way about jazz. You know, it's like, you can't, it, you can't just like play jazz if you've studied music all your life. Like you have to really kind of lived in it, experienced it. Right, um, right, right, right. Yeah, this was uh, going on with a small tangent for a quick second. A friend of mine who is really close friends with the uh, music contractor 
a, a former Broadway music contractor who did the uh, Broadway production of Wild Party, the Lacusa Wild Party. Oh, wow. And yeah, and it was very important to George Seawolf, the director, and Michael John Lacusa, who wrote the score, that everyone in the orchestra had like at least a decade's worth of jazz experience like it oh, George C. Wolf does not play when it comes to specificity and what he wants and oh absolutely uh, <laughs> I I fear the day that I meet that man like one-on-one because I'm pretty sure we will never leave the tape because he and I have very similar brains where we talk all the time we talk very fast we are our, our knowledge of things is very expansive and we tend to go off of tangents off of tangents off of tangents just from what i've seen in his interviews so oh, I, yes oh yes i feel like together he and i will just uh go off on the rails but anyway that's to say with wild party it was very important to them to have that experience and when you listen to the score you can understand why because that orchestra is tight right and, right right and especially i have an audio of the uh, a soundboard i think it's either a soundboard or audience audio from the final performance of that wild party and if you want to come for me for having that audio i say screw <laughs> you i listen to it almost every day it's i mean the tempos are so fast on that recording like a it's the final performance so energy was high but also like mm-hmm. it was non-stop music so that orchestra was like get us the fuck out of here like this right, is right, right. two hours of like my lips bleeding but uh <laughs> to like play at that tempo and to still be that tight on the music like that doesn't come from just like 10 years at Juilliard that comes from life right um so I I feel like you and I should start a campaign for audition rooms of like if you're gonna tell me this is the genre you want get a piano player they can do it any other traumatizing audition stories where you didn't get it so our listeners can be a little less sad about them not getting it when they auditioned and did everything perfectly oh where I did not get it Uh, I love that you have to now go into like the back of no, your No, you know what? That, that's so, that's so, I mean, it's great, but it also, I don't want to sound like, oh, you get every single job that you audition for. Uh, I mean, if you do own it, but also like, just know that. You, oh, well, Carolina changed. Like, I mean, I, I, I that all is the fair. way to the end, I thought for sure that I was going to be in that revival. But I, I, I now understand the reasons that I might not have gotten it because I, I am going to be in another show mm-hmm. that would have been opening sure. at the, it, it, shortly after. But I was like, well, I can stay at least until the Tony. So oh, were you already I, cast in MJ when you were auditioning for Carolina? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've oh, been okay. with MJ now for two years. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, well, maybe they'll be, they'll just say, oh man, we love him so much. We'll let him stay until the tones because it was it's a strictly limited run. Mm-hmm. Well, at least it was then. I don't know what they're gonna do now after after this. Maybe they'll be an open ended run, but it was a strictly yeah. Uh, what am I? What did I just say? Uh, a, a, a like limited, a limited run. engagement. So yeah. I was like, okay, if they let me in it, then I will only not be available for the last six weeks they'll find somebody to fit but yeah it all just comes down to that sometimes i mean some people book their broadway debuts as replacements simply because like they fit the costume better than somebody else oh i know it for a fact yes yes i mean i was guys i was this close to booking jenna in waitress when (laughs) jesse miller was leaving (laughs) 
when Jesse Mueller was leaving, I was this close to booking it. But unfortunately, I was just too small for her costumes. And they oh, said, we really don't want to take it in. About. You're the yeah. one they were talking about. Really, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow color. You're the top. Keeping in theme, we have an obsession today. Antoine, uh, what is your obsession for this episode? Uh, the color purple revival. Yes, which this is a very special obsession to do because Antoine has first-hand knowledge of this revival. He can give us an insidery look with his obsession. Yes. So I'm obsessed that with this being your obsession. Um, so... What for anybody on this podcast who's brand new? What is the color purple? The color purple is the musical about the life and the struggles of Miss Seely. And I, does everybody should know who Seely is? I mean, she's she's iconic. Yeah, but. it's it's a, it's an iconic work. I'm just playing devil's advocate for anyone who's like, mm, I've been watching a lot of Friends lately. I don't know what right. the purple is. So it's about the life and the struggle of a 14-year-old girl who goes through so many major turns and setbacks. I mean, she has her first child at 14 years old, Mm -hmm. and she's basically given away to a man who agrees to take her if he can can take a cow as well. and it's about just an empowerment and 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 making your way through struggle as best as you can and still keeping a a a, a sane mind and and keeping your spirit up because she was literally by herself mm-hmm. until she met Sugar Ray. Yeah. Yeah, it's very much about uh overcoming the right, over, the overcoming life. the obstacles, realizing who you are, being okay with who you are, mm-hmm. and, and, and being okay with your sexuality, and allowing yourself to just be who you are, where you are, and finding love mm-hmm. where you are. I mean, it was an immense love between Suge, Avery, and Celie. The, the, the stage versions don't get into it as deeply as the book does mm-hmm. for obvious reasons but it goes into it more deeply than the movie uh which oh yeah 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 oh absolutely yeah the movie treats it like you know a a sex in the city type friendship and when like they're about to get intimate it pans over to a birdcage right uh to which i call bullshit but i get it it was the 80s they want they it would be more isolating of a film if they were uh if they treated that relationship more with uh, more depth but right it's still a beautiful you want to know something so crazy about it is that Black people back then did not embrace the movie. Why is that? Because they felt like it, the portrayals were just too not real. But in reality, that was the reality for some people. Mm-hmm. It was just the way that we were being portrayed. Mm-hmm. But again, that was the reality for, for some people. Yeah, I guess that, I mean... I can only relate in the sense of um, every time there's a new work that has a gay character in it, 
many of my gay friends will post about it on social media and they go like, well, this doesn't relate to who I am and my story. I'm like, not every story has to. This is, you know, one part of our demographic. There are right, millions right, right. of stories for us. Uh, so, yeah, I know I absolutely get that, um, especially at, the, at a, well, I guess at a time when that that book was such a still it that book is today a landmark like it is it is a oh absolutely it's iconic it still so relevant today. yes and when it came out it really kind of took the world by storm and i guess there was a lot riding on it with a movie version and uh right, right. uh stories about african americans wasn't still isn't being told often but especially in the 80s like even fewer stories and so there was a whole like you know when there are so few stories about um, a certain demographic, it's like, well, each story has to represent all of us. And so of course it's going to be a letdown for some people. Right. And let me add this little small tidbit that a lot of people probably don't know. Hmm. So Steven Spielberg came to see the show and you know, uh, the ending Mr. Proposes to Seeley, mm-hmm. but a lot of people that, saw the movie were like well he didn't do that in the movie why is he doing it on the stage version in the book he does propose and i think a lot of people would have been more uh supportive of the movie back then had that part been put in the movie and steven spielberg told us i wish i was able to put that part in the movie but it was a like timing Mm -hmm. you know oh we got to cut something out we gotta and that part had to be let go yeah that is a people when people see that on stage they're like oh that didn't happen in the movie no but obviously you didn't read the book no well (laughs) i mean there's so much the musical is more faithful to the book than the movie i mean the movie's pretty faithful it's less that the movie changes things so much as that it just omits stuff Um, which which happens you know it's a two-hour movie it's a 300 page book they can't include everything Weirdly, you can include more in a musical because, well, I don't want to say weirdly, but you can include more in a theatrical stage musical because the way that musicals work, you can relay so much information in a three minute song through counterpoint, through montages, through dance. So you guys, you guys definitely covered more ground with the musical, which I appreciated. Um, Oh yeah. When Alice Walker came in to see one of our rehearsals in the rehearsal space, she mm -hmm. said, this is my book. This is what I wrote. Had you seen the stage musical before you were cast in the revival? Yes, I saw it, I think, and it was either 2000, 2008, I believe, is when I saw it. Um, yeah. On Broadway? You saw it on, on Broadway? Broad- or like a- I saw it on Broadway, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Who, do you remember who was Celie at the time? Uh, I believe Jeanette. Uh, yeah. Is it Je- Jeanette or Janelle? Jeanette? Jeanette. Okay. Jeanette Byardell, yeah. Yes, there is a clip of her doing I'm Here on Instagram somewhere. And I don't know if it's Broadway or the tour, but she does an option up that just like, I'm pretty sure I got pregnant watching it, but it's fine. Uh, This isn't about me and my baby. Uh, (laughs) uh, We'll get back to my opinions. As we know, I talk all the time. Let's get back to you. Um, Okay. So this revival, which 
uh, originated at the Menier Chocolate Factory. Yes. Uh, and starred Cynthia Erivo there, who brought Correct. it to Broadway uh, with director John Doyle. Uh, they announce it's coming to Broadway. Right. What does, what does Antoine think? What does he do? Is he like, get me in that fucking room? Literally, when I saw... Well, first of all, I was like, it's already coming back to Broadway. It literally just closed, like... I don't know. Yeah, it was like know. less, it, it, less it, than it was, 10 years. It right. Was like it, was an, years. it was very early for a revival to be mm-hmm. coming back. And I was like, is this real? So I was asking people that were in the original Color Purple that are my friends. And I was like, did you see that there's a revival of the, the Color Purple? And they were like, what? Yeah, there's a revival coming back. Because, you know, Playbill has a section that says upcoming Broadway shows mm-hmm. um, Broadway shows that were open blah 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 and I saw the color purple and immediately I have to be in this revival but my whole thinking was it was gonna be just like the other revival like that was that was the, the main thing in my head mm-hmm. and then I found out that it was the one that they had did in London with a cast of I think 16 or 17 they had, I want to say, 12 or 13 chairs. And I was like, Many a chair. The color purple with 17 cast members and some chairs. How in the world is that going to happen? And it blew my mind. And eventually they started releasing uh, press videos from the London production and it it just it sent chills down my spine. I watched those videos a hundred and fifty thousand times, mm. putting out the energy that I was going to be in it, and I got it. <laughs> Did the piano player know how to play the music that time? Oh, Jason Michael Webb knows how to play the piano. That is good. Um, first also day, our music director. First, which okay. So I've gone on record many a time as saying I, so I've been going to see Broadway shows since I was four years old. I'm a, I'm a city kid. I am part of a family of Jews that have been living in New York city for a hundred years. We all, we all, <laughs> and we all love theater. And most of the people in my family have, have been involved in theater in some way, never like in front of the table. None of them have been performers, but like behind the table or like in the office kind of way. Right. Right. So I was very fortunate to see theater for almost my entire life. Uh, right. Definitely the vast majority. That revival of The Color Purple remains the best sung thing I have ever seen. And I saw it thrice. Um, and, it's, and not only just like technically speaking, because I don't, when I say best sung, I don't just mean like, oh, the notes were there, the voices are good. I mean, the attitude and the energy. Because um, I remember... So I had you, and then I also had Patrice Covington, Don't Be a Star, Be a Galaxy, it's also on Baking Up Broadway. Today. Happy birthday, Patrice. Happy birthday, Patrice. Um, <laughs> she, uh, I had her on as well, and I think I told both of you, like the ferocity with which you, the fierceness, the fire, all three times, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? And I am I you, dead. Can I tell you why that happened? because it was genuine there was no theatrics happening at that moment this was 
our reality. These songs are the way that we sang in real life growing up in church and the spirit and just all of our, just, you know, the power of our ancestors and everything. It was truly, truly, truly a genuine moment every single day. That's why it seemed so real because it was real. But what about trust? What about trust? What about tenderness? tenderness? What about tears when I'm happy? What about wings when I So you get the color purple, first day of rehearsal. What what's happening in the room? How so? How does director John Doyle, who is the t- seems like the tiniest, most polite? I think he's Irish. Is he Irish, John he, Doyle? He is. He's yeah. Irish. I thought he was English. <laughs> I, well, because he does so much in London, you're like, oh, a little English man. Well, the tiniest- even the, the I just can't I can't tell the difference between an Irish. Well, now I can between an Irish and a, 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 a London Eng- a, English, a English accent. accent. Yes, well, the Irish they they pronounce their R's. They do. Um, <laughs> But he's the tiniest little Irish man. How did he sort of establish rehearsal from day one? He established it, first of all, by, by telling us, this is your story. I'm going to let you all tell it how you tell it. I'll give you some direction, but the rest is up to you. He literally would say, I have... I have no right to tell you how to perform this. I can give you some direction. And then you show me from, from your life experiences and who you are, this work. Like, I guess he, he, went, he went to college in, uh, in Georgia. And he said, this is about the only, that's about the only black experience that I have. I got on a bus uh, or he, he, he flew in from, from Ireland to America. He got on a bus, rode the bus to his college in, in Georgia. And that was the first time he interacted or saw black people. So he really, he really let the experience come, come from us and the telling of the story come from us. And he laid that on the ground first and foremost. That is beautiful um which a lot of directors don't do they say this is mine you're gonna do it this is my vision stand here like it or get out yeah him he let us 98.9 percent bring it from our hearts and experiences uh was there a what was the moment in rehearsal or maybe it was from the get-go i don't know when was the moment where things started to gel and everybody was like okay like we have something here. Um, you want to know what's so funny? John Doyle in his process, if you're not in the scene, mm-hmm. you're not in the room. You're not allowed to sit on the side and watch. If you're not in the scene, you're literally outside. Mm-hmm. So when we did finally come together for a full run through and we got to see other parts of the, of the play that we were never able to see, Mm-hmm. We were emotional wrecks. <laughs> it was it, uh, when I first, when we first started the the rehearsal process that way. I was like, "Well, how in the world are we supposed to know what's happening?" Mm-hmm. 
And it was so genuine and organic once we all came together, having been in our separate rehearsals, Mm -hmm. that it was so mind blowing and just a spiritual, mental experience. It was so good. Sorry, I just had to close my eyes because I was going back into the room. Ah, I mean, you're you're taking me on a journey, which I mean, I hope our listeners are on the same journey because I am living. Um, So then, so rehearsal process is done. We go into the theater. We are in tech. Tech is notorious for being a very grueling process. It's a lot of stopping and starting, going back, stopping and starting. Um, How are you as a company able to sort of keep the energy alive during that time? Or is it kind of just like an uphill battle? Man, it was we kept the energy because it oh man it's so different when you're doing a show that you can relate to mm-hmm. on such a deep 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 way that it just made the rehearsal process just so exciting even during the tech time we were like man we're singing we're having a good time we're crying we love this music we love the show we love john doyle and the direction he's given us i would say the only complicated part of our uh tech rehearsal was the positioning of the chairs on the stage because there was no room for mic tape or mic tape for for spike marks on the stage mm-hmm. because as you know it was just a wooden stage of like mm-hmm. slatted wood pieces mm-hmm. so you had to know exactly where your chair was and the way that the stage was is you would think your chair was straight but your chair would be leaning left because there was no real center point Mm -hmm. so that was i think that was the hardest part of tech rehearsal was figuring out where those chairs go on the stage without spike marks yeah and i mean for anybody who didn't see this production so this was john doyle if you are not super familiar with his work is very known for stripped down theater he does not believe in uh elaborate scenery he does not believe in a lot of um pyrotechnics or what's the term uh really scenery on tracks you know like movable scenery right right there's a a term for it yeah i mean there's like you can see some dancing in the visit is that the word you're looking for minimalistic minimalistic yeah but there's a certain term for uh scenery like machinery and scenery oh my god i'm losing my marbles uh we're yeah i'll it'll come to me talking about it i'll I'll figure it yeah i'll where it's not on a track yeah you know like where it like slides on and off it's um like automated scenery there's a right 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 but there's Uh, a specific term for it and i am losing my head trying to think of it god damn it it's gonna come to me like five days and i'll text you and i'll be like this is what i was thinking of because i can't Um, think of it either yeah anyway but so every his his idea of scenery is you know unit sets and anything that moves is moved by uh, by the actors and right you know he loves three chairs become a house and things like that and Uh, the original Color Purple when it was on Broadway was a very elaborate show, had a big turntable. Oh, man, it had like um, 50 members. I mean, yeah. and a huge 350 orchestra. costumes. It was, yeah, it was, it was, it was a spectacle. A sight, which, yeah. yeah. Which, and I mean, to be fair, the Spielberg film of the 80s is also a spectacle in its own way, and it's beautifully right, right. shot, but it's this, you know, it's a very, it's almost a very traditional movie, the Spielberg film, because it's these grand shots that like you could see in an MGM film from the 50s oh, like that kind of color that kind of mm-hmm. landscape yeah um so and to be fair 
to John Doyle, the Menier Chocolate Factory, where this production originated of Color Purple. You know, it's very small. I don't know if you had I think ever it's been like there. A Ninety-nine. Yeah, it's small. I. It's super small. Yeah. I saw a little night music there before that production transferred, and like, there's also no real seats. Like, you're sitting on couches. It is. It is a. <laughs> it is. It is literally this. The theater looks like a basement, and so there was no way to transfer this revival of the color purple to Broadway, and like spruce it up to you know become a giant spectacle again so this revival had a lot of chairs that was the main set piece and uh you know actors sort of moving everything around and there was no real aging process to makeup or hair so relied on right. so it was basically to, the phys- the physicality yeah. of the actor maybe the tone of voice mm-hmm. but we use the chairs for like shovels we use mm-hmm. the chairs for sugar avery's uh bathtub we use them for jail cells mm-hmm. we use them for uh church pews mm-hmm. you know, it i mean was, it, uh, it was and very and also not a lot of color the bet the biggest splash of color is sugar avery herself in her oh yeah purposely her, done yes purposely done she brings color to Celie's world and it's, mm-hmm. you know, it makes an entrance. Uh, so first preview. Yeah. How does it go? It was fantastic. It was just all the culmination of the work of, 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 of the emotions just came together so great. It was it was literally a spiritual moment and not even like, oh, God and Christ and not even that kind of spiritual, just like your own personal spirituality, your own personal struggles, your own personal wants and needs were manifested on that stage that night. And it just felt so good. Very cathartic. Oh, Um, my God. So I have a two part question. One is real. The second part is not so much real one <laughs> did cynthia arrivo get a standing ovation for i'm here on that first night she got a standing ovation every single night and that is not being sarcastic from or an, december or an exaggeration 1st, from december 1st well i no, not december our first what, what was our first our first preview was in sometime in november, in november. like yeah from the first preview to january 12th she got a standing ovation every single time. So this is where my second part comes in. After that first preview, she gets her standing ovation. You all go backstage when the show's over. John Doyle, does he march over to Cynthia Revo and go, Cynthia, dear, you need to do that every night now and then walk out the door? No. Nope. Because I mean, I'm a John very kind Doyle. person, but if I were a director and she did that on the first night, I'd be like, I love you. That was fantastic. Get a standing ovation every night and then leave. If anything, John Doyle would have said, just tone it back just a little bit. When I tell you John Doyle is the most minimal person and he he doesn't want you reaching for the same show every time. He wants it to be so organic and so just natural, but he would, he would have never said, aim for that standing ovation. He would rather it not be a standing ovation yeah. as to not interrupt the truthfulness of what's happening on stage. That is, that is, that second part is really not real, but I, part of me just really was hoping, like, <laughs> I, I knew what the answer was gonna be, but I had a secret hope he'd be like, oh no, like, sweetest man alive, but he totally looked her dead in the eyes and he was like, every night now. Oh, no, 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 no. If John would have had it his way, it would have been, yeah, no, yeah. I don't want them standing up. I just want to... <laughs> 
yeah. but hey what could you do what that you- moment it- man it was one of those perfect theatrical moments and i i mean I'm not going to, I could like gush over Cynthia Revo and Lord knows I have, but I want to make it very clear that everything aligned for that standing ovation to happen, starting with, she was so right for that part. She gave a great performance, but also what you all did as a company, how that production worked, brought that moment to be what it was. The audience oh, was on the ride waiting for it and was so excited to see mm-hmm. this moment of empowerment. Cynthia Arrivo, from the first day of rehearsal to the last day of the show, she sang that song just like that. Oh, Cynthia, you can mark today if you, nope, not, no, she didn't. She ran a marathon one day uh, during a two-show day and came to work and did both shows. I don't know if anybody knows what a New York City marathon is like but she ran it and came and did two shows as Seely. one of the hardest roles is a marathon yes i think the new york city marathon something like 33 miles you run 33 miles something like that whatever it was she ran it and came to work and then did two more marathons uh and did two more marathons and didn't yeah she's yeah no otherworldly truly otherworldly um on top of that you had three major ladies come in speaking of suge avery uh so the part of suge avery is a sort of like jazz singer chanteuse is that how we would describe her Sure. sure why not um sort of like a local celebrity who comes in about a little more than halfway into act one. And she is the uh, consistent mistress of the character of Mr. Who is married to Seely, but it's purely, as you said, transactional marriage. Uh, he basically marries her to have her, you know, be Take a- care of his kids and clean his house. Yeah. She's, you know, uh, unpaid help. You know, she, right. she's literally just working for him day and night and then, you know, sexually uh, abuses her every night. And you see with Suge, Suge is actually a wonderful character, not just because she's a wonderfully complex character, but what she does for both the character of Mr. and Celie. She right. is a moment of color and a ray of light for Celie and helps give her the key to her own empowerment and sexuality. But it also allows us to see a side to Mr. that we hadn't seen up until that point. Right. So he's. Not, I love how the color purple is not so night and day in terms of its characters like no one is wholly good or wholly bad there's complexity to everybody oh absolutely so, yeah except for maybe Seely's stepdad who is truly a monster but that's we won't talk about him he's only in the first two scenes and then he goes away right. um good riddance to him but point is mister we see him be this you know 
I don't, I don't know. Monster at the beginning. Yeah. Monstrous man. Very toxic. (laughs) And, and there's a lot of toxic masculinity there because you see with his own father, he's a product of his upbringing, but you see with, uh, when Suge comes in, you see him be gentle and caring. And so you understand that that is in him. Oh, absolutely. Something about him though, and his surroundings and how his upbringing and sort of how he's been that, makes him sort of not allow himself to be that way all the time, which is why his redemption at the end of the show is quite believable because we know that that's in him. Um, But also uh, the actor who did it in your production, uh, Isaiah Washington. Yes. I was, I was very into his performance. I saw, as I said, I saw it three times. And over those three times, over the course of like Isaiah six Johnson, months, Isaiah Johnson, I'm so sorry. I, you know, oh, I don't know what. No, Johnson. that's honestly, I always waffle between Washington and Johnson. And every time I'm, that's why I pause and I'm like, is this, which one is it? Is this the right one? So I deeply apologize, Isaiah Johnson. You are phenomenal on this show. <laughs> and each time I saw you, your performance deepened. And I saw even more sort of um, uh, inner struggle with his, performance you know what his performance reminded me of when was the last time you saw the animated beauty and the beast antoine oh god i can't probably when it came out are you fucking (laughs) kidding me the 91 beauty and the beast it has been almost 30 years for you since you saw it probably if i'm being honest I just i don't know how we 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 grew up different (laughs) did we now um (laughs) <laughs> get, get back into it disney plus is a thing watch it All oh no things- i do ha- i do i actually do have disney plus but i only got it for like the gummy bears and Darkwing duck and like you know the 90s cartoons first of all if, so much you mentioning Darkwing duck shows that we're not that different but that said <laughs> i love Darkwing duck um that said if you can watch the og 91 Beauty and the Beast. It's first of all, it's probably the closest to perfect the Disney movie has ever been. Uh, but on top of that, the way they animate the beast, like his emotional struggles throughout the movie, you see the inner conflict all the time in that movie, right. which is again shows how his uh, arc makes so much sense and is so cathartic for that film. Isaiah Johnson's performance reminds me a lot of that, where you see him act a certain way, but you see the conflict in him where it's like, I don't know what to do in this moment i'm just gonna do what i see men do all the time and he does this and it's right it's to not me good. he should have been nominated for a tony i don't know i fucking agree who was in charge of that but that man deserved at least a tony nomination i agree i mean i don't i don't like to use the term robbed in terms of tony nominations when people don't get one because usually i'm like you're saying someone else's performance who was nominated was lesser than I'm not going to say who, but there was one nominee in that category where I was like, I would not have nominated them over Isaiah Johnson. Uh, I'm not going to say who, because I, I, (laughs) I'm not that, I'm not that bitch, but I will say there was absolutely a person who was nominated that year. I was like, "Mm -mm, that should have been Isaiah Johnson's nomination. So we're on the same page there. Um, So moving back to Suge Avery. Avery. We have three dream girls in this role. Literally. Literally three. We have opening night, Miss Jennifer Hudson, Oscar mm-hmm. winner Jennifer Hudson. And then moving on to, was it March or April that Heather Headley came in? Uh, April. Yes, April. April. Mm-hmm. April. And then 
September, August, September, that Miss Jennifer Holiday came in? Uh, I, November. No, was it was it November? It was October, November. Yeah, she came okay. for like the last last couple of months, three months or something like that. Yes, and your part in the show. So, what was the name of your character in Act Two, the one who uh, marries Shug? Grady. Grady. Uh, your <laughs> Grady always always made me laugh in that dinner table scene in Act Two, where he's like, because <laughs> he's so brand new to the surroundings, he doesn't know what like who anybody is or what the hit. Right, is. right. So he's just like so. I mean, genuinely happy to be there, and then like shit goes down. <laughs> right. Uh-oh, so to, wa- to watch you just be like, what's happening? <laughs> I just thought that was fun. Uh, talk to me then about uh, all three women as Suge in terms of what they brought to the role, what, how that changed your interactions with them, what they brought to the show, uh, starting with Miss Hudson. Uh, oh, man. Jennifer is such a great person on and off the stage. Of course, she brought the most powerful vocal powerful emotional vocals to suge avery i mean there were some songs where we had to raise the key for her at her request and it made the song so much better and so much so much energetic Mm -hmm. you know sometimes you're like are we gonna be able to sing the song that high and then when you get into it you're like i can't believe that it wasn't already in this key Mm -hmm. But she brought so much beautiful power to each and every one of those songs. And she brought such an innocence to Suge Avery. Just, uh, she's just, just, just a great, great person. Yeah. Also never missed a single show, no matter what she had to do. She was at work and she was 150% every single time. Ah, dreams that, I mean, you had a company of gladiators, really just people who came in and, Fawn of the Lion's Den. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, there was, I also kind of like her Shug. Maybe I'm just projecting because I, I did see her twice. I saw her in previews and then I saw her in February. And what I liked about her Shug, and again, maybe I'm projecting, but it was sort of like somebody who um, wasn't naturally a Shug Avery, like kind of became Shug Avery because of how she looked and how people treated her. Oh, she but, definitely grew into sugar Avery for sure yeah it was um I'm again my brain goes all over the place but I remember and this is going to seem random Antoine but bear with me (laughs) I remember when the Into the Woods movie came out and some I had heard some complaints about Anna Kendrick Cinderella because they were like she's not really princessy enough in the next half when she like becomes a princess and I saw the movie thrice again because i'm me and i <laughs> and i watched her because i like anna kendrick and i actually thought she was good and i was like why do i think she's good though so i was watching her the second time and was like oh her cinderella is somebody who's like not naturally a princess she really doesn't know how to be one it's just because of the way she looks she's been forced to be a princess but she doesn't know how to stand or act like a princess right. cinderella like wasn't a princess at first she... no she fucking talked to birds like right she... She's a crazy girl. So I sort of felt similar to uh, Jennifer Hudson with her Suge, where it's like, she's not someone who was born a Suge. And that's not naturally in her body. It was just, she grew up to look the way she did. And people started treating her like a Suge Avery. And so she had to take that on, which I really, I liked. And right. So am I projecting there or or was there a lot of that? No, I agree. There there was a great blossom Mm -hmm. for her. It was, yeah. That, that's good. So. 
I'm glad that I'm not just making it up in my head. Uh, <laughs> you know, because it's it's art. Art is all subjective. You know, there's no fact really, which I right. hate because I like being right. But right. <laughs> like, I want to tell people their opinion is wrong, but, but I can't. I can just tell them right. it's trash. Uh, so then we move on. Miss Hudson leaves us in April, and Tony Winter Heather Heavy comes into the show, and I have to say. So I told you, all three times I saw the show, I was blown away. The last time I saw it was with Miss Heather Headley. It was the night before the Tony Awards. And Antoine, top three most electric nights I've ever had in the theater. I could not stand it. Uh, take the floor, please. <laughs> Just, I'm, Heather, <laughs> Heather, Heather, Heather Headley. She brought a whirlwind of energy when she came into the cast. Uh, she obviously had, has extensive stage experience. Mm -hmm. And when I tell you this woman acts from the tip of her big toe to the very end of the longest hair on her head with such precision and such experience, it was otherworldly truly and her voice she has her own you can if, if you're listening to a song you can say that is heather headley oh yes the way she massaged these songs the way that she made them hers i'm getting goosebumps just <laughs> thinking about it the way I'm getting goosebumps she, watching you talk her about it. It's the great. way the storytelling that Heather Headley is able to do through acting, through song, through her body, through her mouth, through her words. I, I, I don't know. It, it, it was spectacular. I mean, to the point where the Tony voters came back mm -hmm. to see her performance yes i mean i there's people who aren't in the community but love theater you know we like to sort of project we i, I include myself in that narrative uh like to project stories onto shows and onto situations so like people say oh heather headley came in and and that's what made color purple win the tony and i i disagree i think what happened was Heather Headley came in, which, as you said, made the Tony voters come back and reminded them how much they loved the show the first time. Right. Because opening early in a season is difficult sometimes because you have to maintain right. traction. Especially opening, uh, opening in December. A lot of shows open like April or the week before the Tony, so they could mm -hmm. be so fresh and so new. But yeah, yeah, we opened in December and we rode it all the way through you know, the award yeah. season or whatever. And she just brought, she brought a, a new energy. If you, if someone brings a new energy, of course you're going to want to come see the new I, energy. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, it worked so well on a business end for the producers because, you know, it timing wise, it brought Tony voters back to see the show. And that's just good to remind them right, of the production. Right. And then on an artistic end, you know, it was just such wonderful casting. Right. And I don't want to say, refresh the show it did and you guys were fresh from day one to the end that show never wavered but 
I mean, I, I think you would. I think you would be accurate in saying it refreshed the show because she, she brought different different things to the show, so it made us react differently, which of course gave fresh and new perspectives as to how we would react to Shug Avery, how 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 he, how Heather's uh uh what am I trying to say? How how Heather's story mm-hmm. was perceived now by by Cynthia as Seely like. You know, it's it's yeah. now a new actor in old space bringing new energy. So it truly was refreshed. I, I guess I would say kept it fresh. In that way. Yes, I would say right, it right, kept right, right. the show fresh. Refresh makes me... Yes, yes. Implies like they, the show. That is, that's exactly, yes. He kept, kept it fresh. Show. Yes, yes, yes. Because refresh implies like that you guys started to lag. And as again, as I said... Right. I see what I mean, you mean, yes. Yeah, I never felt that show lagged. She, like she just came in and all and it was it was the same amount of energy and kept it as such for oh absolutely yes, yeah. yes yes you are correct and and as you said like it's what i love and this is actually the good side about theater being subjective um is that two different performances of the same role can both be amazing in different ways and it's just about seeing the new as you said like the new colors the new energy that everyone reacts to seeing how right. Cynthia's performance changed from being with Heather Headley. Exactly. Right, um, right, right. You know, it was, I would argue it was a more sensual relationship. There were a little bit more fireworks to it. Um, right, right. Whereas with Jennifer Hudson, it felt like there was more of a comfort and a familiarity, which was beautiful in its own right. Um, right. You know, like a, a deep friendship, whereas with Heather Headley became this like spark of electricity. Right, and right, right. Yeah, so that was wonderful to see. And then, I mean, God, the goddamn Tony performance, man. That, like, all love and respect to all other shows. We all know that Hamilton is a juggernaut, whatever. And we all know how I felt Shuffle Along should have been robbed, was robbed of choreography, of winning choreography. Oh, we all know that. Yes. No offense to Andy Blankenbuehler. He's got three Tony Awards. He doesn't need my opinion. But no tea, no shade, no pink lemonade shuffle along choreography i mean i that was a fuck okay can we just say we're here talking four years later about the color purple revival that is a testament to your production because that was a such a good year there was so much happening that year it was a very strong year all around the number of obsessions i have for about that year uh color purple shuffle along which i and you, you did you see get to see shuffle along was that something you guys no, were able to I, do? I got, we were not but we definitely got to see though the the the, the tap mm. number yeah it's i mean which alone was we were like that the choreography in these tap numbers that we see was and the storytelling ordinary the storytelling of that show speaking of george c wolf the storytelling of shuffle along was mind blowing i saw the first frozen preview so they had finally like the night i saw was the night that they froze the show and i believe the times was there because they had a very long i don't say hectic but a a very creative preview process like they really used previews to change things cut things add things well not even that they closed down for like a week or two to go back into rehearsal which i've never heard of in my life yeah it's it's very rare but like that was it what i love about it was that was plotted like they they did i think a week or two of previews and had a week planned where they were going to close down, refigure out the show to right. tech and everything, and then come back and do the tweaks from there because previews are tricky because, uh, you know, 
the way that sets are automated and things are sort of put into a computer, you can only really make tweaks once you're in previews. You can't do like major changes. Right. And I will say that Scott Rudin as a producer, he will give people the time that they need to make it the best that it possibly can. Yes, he is. I, I have mixed feelings about him as a human being, but as a producer, he is very good to his, to his production. He is very good to his productions. And at, le at least in terms of the people who are creating the productions, he's very good about allowing them to do what they are trying to set out to do. Uh, whether you agree with what those people do with their productions is, again, why art is subjective. But he always takes risks, and I appreciate that. Uh, and he, let, he literally just like lets George Seawolf do whatever he wants to do. And for that, I'm like, continue, please. That's to say, shuffle along. One of the most amazing theatrical nights as well. The storytelling involved, the choreography. It's, I when restrictions are lifted or at least uh, loosened up a bit and we're allowed to like go to libraries again, Antoine, I recommend you go to Lincoln Center and watch it because my oh, God, absolutely. my God, is it so good. Um, it's like, it's a modern day follies. It's- Oh, it's absolutely. A, it's a love letter to theater while also deconstructing everything that is broken about it and our society. Right, and it's, right, right. Ah, uh, entertaining and moving. We know it was also entertaining and moving. The color purple. Um, oh man! Bring, standing bring, ovation at the Tonys. Yes, you guys got a standing ovation at the Tonys. You better, you better work. You so know it's so crazy. They say, okay, so as soon as your number is done, step back so we can bring the thing down. We stood out there for an extra ten seconds, like we're not moving from this spot because we're taking this moment in right now. Yep, that was you all telling CBS <laughs> eat it, which, yeah, do it because. That, so again, as I said, Hamilton, Shufflon, like wonderful shows. You guys won the night for performance, 100%. And I'm not just saying this because you're in front of me and I'm kissing your ass. You, you've known me enough, long enough to know that like, I don't, I don't just say shit to be complimentary. Like if I believe it, I'll say it. Oh, I, you are 100% you are correct. Uh, so... <laughs> 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 you are 100% correct in your assessment of you, Matt. Way to go. Um, it's Well, I, I, I should have said 100% correct in my agreement to you not holding your tongue. Yes. I mean, and I'm not, I, well, I'm not a rude person. Uh, if I don't know like, at all, at all. I do, I do think that there's a danger. We, John and I call it toxic positivity in the theater community where it's like people don't like hearing constructive criticism. It's like right. either tell me it was amazing or like get out. Right. And, you know, there's a time and a place if, you know, it's, it takes so much work and it takes so much out of you to create something. And there are days when you want to hear constructive feedback to make it better and days where you're just like, just see it and then like leave me alone. I don't want to hear anything. So it's about reading the room in that respect. But right. uh, in regards to this, in our moment right here, right now, you know, I am very, I am an open book. Um, I will give my opinion when it's asked. I will not hold back. I that love that. performance was fantastic and actually a really wonderful representation of your production. Uh, it really, like, cause some, you know, sometimes 20 performances, you're like, that was good, but it doesn't really like showcase the show. Oh, absolutely. You guys showcase the show. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. I mean, I know it was all your decision. I know you're like, John, (laughs) Mr. Doyle, step aside. I got this. Let me handle this performance. (laughs) It felt so good though. Ah, I'll bet. And then you guys won Revival, which did, which was, and you also, you are one of two shows to win an award that Hamilton was nominated for and didn't win. Uh, she loves me on set design. They beat Hamilton for that. And you guys beat Hamilton for actress. We did. Rightfully we so. We did. It, I honestly, if, like you said, you hate to say that somebody was robbed, but if Cynthia Erivo had not won that Tony that night, she would have been robbed. No. I'm sorry. Absolutely. I'm say it. She deserved that Tony tenfold. On just, on every level. Every on every level level um and and once again to compare to the other women in that category it's a testament to how incredible she was in that role right. that she was far I and mean, away the best the women that were in her category were on social media saying give cynthia the tony now yeah as well they should have like we're talking Philippa Sue and Hamilton, Jesse Mueller and Waitress, Carmen Cusack and Bright Star, Laura Benanti and She Loves Me, like all wonderful performances and, you know, could win in many other years. Oh, but absolutely. Th- there are just, there are just years where there's a specific performance where it's like, there's no question. It is you. It is this. Um, and since, since the only other time I have felt that way for best actress in a musical in my lifetime, like where I saw the show and I, and I can comment fully was Christine Ebersole in great gardens in 2007. Oh, every other year I, I can like play devil's advocate about somebody, you know, because again, art subjective, no right or wrong. And I remember specifically Laura Benanti on, uh, on Instagram saying, give her the Tony now. Cause I mean that bitch has taste. She knows. She knows what's up. <laughs> She's so real. I don't know if you follow her on Instagram. Well, I'm pretty. I'm probably sure you do. She keeps it one hundred. Oh yes. Um. On Instagram. I like. I like actors who do that. Not at, and when by keeping it one hundred, just in terms of are honest about themselves, about the world, and like know when it's not their turn and know when it is their turn. Right. Does, does right. that make sense? Oh, absolutely. But let me tell you how real she is, and then we'll get back to what, what you were talking about. <laughs> I mean, please, talk about Urban Anti all you damn well. She had a bed bug infestation in her house, and she posted it on Instagram. She was like, guys, I have bed bugs. So this is what my room looks like right now. <laughs> I mean, like, this is what kind of 100 Laura Bonanti is. Mm-hmm. I respect her for that all day. Oh, yeah. I feel like Instagram has become but so i use instagram for two reasons either like as a scrapbook of my life of moments that i want to remember or promoting the things that i've worked on i am not a prolific enough person to post about like the darkness of my life and have (laughs) and have people say like hashtag so brave i'm the kind i am low enough that i would post about it and people are like "Ooh, i don't know if i want to hear the realness from you right now um But it's, I guess, you know, people of a certain level of success and fame, it's nice to sort of see that because so many people in the theater world, movie, you know, the entertainment industry in general, where they are always just posting like the the blessed life that they have. And it's like, right. that's nice. But, you know, 
you are you even human then where it's like it's just you with your six pack and a halo top and like right. staying in for the night uh right maybe that's just the instagram accounts i follow but can't pay your rent tomorrow when the rent is <laughs> right inside tonight might be evicted tomorrow but you won't know mm, oh my, <laughs> what okay i think you and i should start a trend where we do like the thirstiest photos like or like the most thirstiest or gl- most glamorous photos of ourselves and the caption is just something really dark so it's you know i i am like in my most expensive outfit drinking a really expensive glass of wine the lighting is perfect and i'm like mm, might get evicted next week just you know something like that right <laughs> that is i think that should be the new thing the pretty truth ah i look good but the truth is it ain't good i'm sorry the pretty truth the pretty truth if if that is not a trending hashtag and you're gonna fucking put that out there Ah! now listen all you red hot lovers So, you win the Tony. You personally yes. win the Tony Award. They hand Antoine L. Smith the Tony for revival of a musical. And you say, I share this with everyone, but I'm keeping it. And then right. we go into the summer. It's the summer of dreams. We then go into fall. Heather leaves us. Miss Jennifer Holiday, Tony Grammy winner Jennifer Holliday. Um, mouth large enough it can house the Loch Ness Monster. Oh, yes. She comes in bringing a whole new energy. What is her Suge Avery like? You know, her her Suge Avery is a lot more grounded. I to me, I would say Suge Avery vocally, if 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 it were a real life person, mm-hmm. Jennifer Holiday's voice would have been that Suge. Avery type voice because it's got that grit and it's got that that weightiness to it and it that that's what we we as a cast mm-hmm. figured out that that this is what Shug Avery would have sounded like because in the book you know she's a little bit older which would have given her a little bit of an an, an older sound mm-hmm. and um you know we had to change a little bit of choreography to to fit jennifer holiday but i mean that's that's what you do you make stuff work the best for those people so that you can showcase them in the best light and she was the most generous most giving performer person on and off stage uh yeah i just think i just think that her suge brought a little more of the the juke joint Mm -hmm. vibe I wish everyone could see Antoine right now. He ha- his left shoulder is just going rogue and swirling around. I love it so much. That's um, yeah. I, I think she brought she 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 brought a, a very more grounded mm-hmm. thing to Suge. Not that the other two ladies were not grounded, but it was definitely a different yeah. groundedness to Suge. Yes. A, a, a little bit more experience and a little more earthiness to it yeah yeah yeah. um i did not get to see her unfortunately but 
uh, I had heard wonderful things about her performance. So I am sad I missed it. Uh, I and will of say she added some of her Jennifer uh, Jennifer Holidayisms, the growling mm-hmm. and, the, <laughs> and the people loved it. That's what they came loved for. It. Of course. They, yes. Listen, Effie, we all got pain, and her her pain went into that shug. Uh, I will say something that I love about this production of Color Purple as we wrap things up. Um, this revival did for me what revivals really should do, which is that it it showed people why this work is important and why uh, why it should still be done. Uh, and I, I want to add to that, um, my overall experience with the show, um, you know, you have that, that one experience where you're like, oh my God, I can't believe this experience right now. Mm-hmm. The color purple to me, I don't ever want to even try to replicate that experience. If that experience never happens again, I will be okay because it was such a great one Mm -hmm. that I don't ever want to try to replicate it or to have another experience take over that experience. I just don't want it. No, nor nor should you. Nor should you. That electricity like that, that lightning in a bottle, that doesn't happen often. You're, You're lucky if it happens once. You're so lucky if it happens once. And I'm so happy that you were able to have that. Uh, how would, looking back, what has that show's impact been for you moving on in your career? Um, and your life? It's, it's the, first of all, the family that, again, another connection with, with people that I call family in the truest the truest way um it's it's allowed me to be okay with who i am as 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 an as an artist it's okay for me to be black and love myself a lot of times we get into this 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 theater thing and we think we have to act a certain way or be a certain way to get these certain kind of roles Mm. but if you have to do all of that then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And, 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 you know, sometimes we get caught up in those reasons. Mm. And this show has taught me, Antoine, be you 100% all the time. If they want you, they want you. If they don't, they don't. Like a lot of people say, oh, you did Color Purple and you're able to sing Rodgers and Hammerstein. So, you know, it's just, oh, man. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's just taught me to be more accepting of who I am, not changing who I am, because if it's for me, it's going to be for me no matter what. Ah, so, yeah. I was going to ask them, like, what is a memory that sticks with you from the show? But now that just sounds so trivial after what you just said. So I don't want to <laughs> ask it. I mean, the unless there's something that is like whole show. That, that sticks with me because I can't give anything greatness or anything less. That's not even a right uh, a word, lessness. It was just all so the same and so good and so great and perfect. It was so perfect that I just, I don't ever want to try to replicate that experience. That is absolutely fantastic. Um, you know what? I'm not going to push it any further. If I continue talking, I'm going to ruin it. Let's wrap it there. Cause that was so good. Um, 
Antoine, thank you so much for coming on today. This has been My the most wonderful day. Uh, where can people find you on all of the social meds? Uh, you can find me at Antoine, A-N-T-O-I-N-E-L, as in Larry Smith, S-M-I-T-H, 32, Antoine L. Smith, 32 on Instagram. I don't have Facebook. I no. Antoine, we close out every episode with a Broadway diva. Unfortunately, Miss Cynthia has already been done, so you cannot choose her. But I open okay. the floor to you for any other Broadway diva that you would like to close us out with. Uh, let me think. Let me think. Does it it's have also, to be a musical theater person? or I mean, someone who's someone yes, in the theater or like, you know, uh, musical world. I would have prefer- you met Heather Headley? Have we? Um, uno momento. Sorry, I'm looking through the list. <laughs> have we had Heather Headley? This is the question to end all questions. Nope. Today we have Heather Headley. That is wonderful. I am so pleased with that. Uh, great. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> wow. So in the meantime, everybody, uh, this has been Broadway Breakdown. Thank you so much for listening. Go check out The Color Purple and Shuffle Along. If there's anything that you know you learned from today, those are the two things to listen to today. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Antoine. Thank you for having me. Pleasure all mine. Uh, and here is Miss Headler. Take us away, Heather Headley. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.